evangelical approach. And by that word evangelical, that word, it means the gospel. It means the good news. And so we want our view of homosexuality and the Bible to be radically gospel-centric. What does the gospel say about this? So we want it to be rigorously biblical, radically compassionate, and gospel-saturated. For many Christians, homosexuality is a difficult subject to talk about. Well, today, Pastor Daniel tries to answer questions people have about homosexuality and faith. He shares that your view should be thoroughly biblical, rooted in the truth of God's Word. Because you're talking about people's lives, it should also be radically compassionate. And finally, your view should be saturated by God's love and His desire to draw people to Himself. And here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 19 as he begins his message homosexuality, and the Bible. Before we begin, I do want to say that this morning's message is going to be NC-17, ratings-wise. My discussion here is not going to be overly graphic, but because of the subject matter, if we're going to deal with it biblically, you have to address things. My goal in this is this. I'm on the quest for a rigorously biblical, radically compassionate, and thoroughly evangelical approach to homosexuality. Those three things. It needs to be rigorously biblical. We want to know what the Bible says, and we want to understand what it says. It needs to be, first, rigorously biblical. Second, it needs to be radically compassionate. Because what we're talking about here is people's lives, And Jesus was moved with compassion for people. And we should be also. Jesus was moved with compassion for sinners of whom we all are chief. So we need a radically compassionate approach. And third, we need a thoroughly evangelical approach. And by that word evangelical, that word, it means the gospel. It means the good news. And so we want our view of homosexuality and the Bible to be radically gospel-centric. What does the gospel say about this? So we want it to be rigorously biblical, radically compassionate, and gospel-saturated, thoroughly evangelical. Now, as I do this message, I'm going to make sure I let you know that certain things are for certain groups of people in the audience, because I realize that in a church like Crossroads, my first section here I'm preaching to the choir in a sense. My guess is what I'm going to say in the next five or 10 minutes is going to be the view that 90 or 95% of you hold. But I still want to talk about it for the five or 10% who don't hold that opinion. So let me start. The biblical teaching on homosexuality is crystal clear. The biblical teaching on homosexuality is crystal clear clear. Everybody knows what the Bible says about homosexuality. It's just a matter of what do they try and do with it. 
It's not in dispute in any way what the Bible teaches. So I'm going to give you a flyover of this. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah. Very common. If you remember the story and we dealt with it, the reality is, is that when the angels came down to see the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, the final act was the men of Sodom's desire to have sex with these angels who were visiting and staying at Lot's house. That's where the term sodomy comes from, from Sodom. So it's there. Leviticus chapter 18, specifically verse 22 says this, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now that word abomination literally means, it literally means something that is detestable or an action that is hated by God. Okay, so it says that if a male lies with a male as he would with a female, that that is an abomination. Now, I want to put this in context, because if you do a word search on the word abomination, you find in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, that dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. So homosexuality is an abomination, but so is a dishonest scale. A dishonest scale is when you judge one thing one way and another thing another way. If you want more, look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. It says, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. And in that list, it says things like a proud look, a lying tongue, a false witness who speaks lies, Somebody who sows discord among the brethren. So homosexuality in the book of Leviticus is called an abomination, which is something, an action that God sees as detestable, as is pride, as is lying, as is bearing false witness. So all these things come together as something, an action that is detestable in the eyes of God. In Leviticus chapter 20, in verse 13, it says, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Okay? So in the book of Leviticus, it says two different places, both in sections dealing with sexual morality, that this is something that is a sin in the eyes of God, an abomination in the eyes of God. If you also look at those lists in context, things like bestiality is discussed. Things like adultery are discussed. So in these passages on sexual morality, homosexuality in the Old Testament is declared to be an abomination, something that is detestable. Now, when you move to the New Testament, of course... There are a few very specific places where homosexuality is mentioned. First, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, it says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, 
but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of God. Now, did you hear that list? Fornicators, those who are having sex outside of marriage. Idolaters, those who worship other gods other than the true and living God. Adulterers, people who stray on their marriage. Now, notice it has homosexuals nor sodomites back to back. Now, the first word is that's translated homosexuals in the New King James is literally the Greek concept of the catamite, which was a heterosexual person who submitted to homosexual activity, which was very common in Corinth and other cultures in that day, where it was like almost like a sexual rite or a pagan ritual. So people who were heterosexual but submitted to homosexuality. And then next is sodomites, which is literally male homosexuals. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul doesn't stop there. Because look at what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But, oh, I love that word. There's this list and all these people are listed. And we find ourselves in that list. Maybe not in action, but in our hearts. And then, and such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. The reality is, is that homosexuality, whenever it's discussed, is discussed in the greater scheme of detestable acts that are forgivable by Jesus. Okay? So it comes together. Now, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Most people, if you're talking to people, they'll always say, but Jesus never mentions the word homosexual. And people make the error that says, because Jesus didn't use the word, that he didn't address the concept. And the reality is that Jesus said that he did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And heaven and earth will not pass away till one jot or one tittle, one stroke of a letter will be fulfilled from that law. And we read two passages from Leviticus. So even though Jesus didn't use the word, he affirmed the perfection of God's law. The other reason Jesus didn't use the term, of course, specifically, is that Jesus preached in Israel. And in Israel, it was abhorred and it wasn't common. But it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, in his missionary journeys around the Roman Empire, where it was much more common, addresses it very clearly. So you have to put it in context. Jesus always preached in what was in our day, modern day Israel, Palestine. Even when he's with the Samaritans, he's still in the general area. So homosexuality in that time, in that place, wasn't common. Okay? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Now, I realize I'm moving fast through this section because I realize that I'm preaching to the choir in some way. My expectation is that for 90 or 95% of you at Crossroads, you believe, you already know what the Bible says about this. But I did want to take the time to go over it one more time because I know that there's probably 5 or 10% of you who are struggling with how to view this. What do we do with that? So I wanted to take the time. Now, in Romans chapter 1, specifically beginning in verse 18, we end up having a huge discussion about God's wrath against ungodliness. Now, 
really what you have is there's three steps and it comes over and over again three times in this little section from verses 18 to verse 32 is that first you have creation or humans exchanging the belief in God for something that God created. Then second, you have God giving people over to whatever it is that they believe. And then third, you have the acting out in our bodies of whatever that giving over is. You find that three times in this section that humans don't want to worship God. They want to worship something else. So God lets them go their own way. And because God lets them go their own way, then you see the outcome in action of the way that humans want. What it teaches us really is that at the height of our rebellion, God actually judges us by letting us go the way we want to go. God's lack of restraining grace in our lives is actually his judgment. God giving us over to what we want is actually God's highest form of judgment on us. That's what this section teaches. Now look at what it says. I'm going to pick up here in verse 20. It says this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them over to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Now, you see what happens here. Because humanity, who is without excuse because of creation, who can see God clearly through everything that's made, right? Because they refuse to worship God, it says that God gave them over. He gave us over. And the first exchange is the glory of God for God's creation. We wanted to worship the creature rather than the creator. So the first step in humanity's rebellion is idolatry. It's not to worship the true and living God. Okay? That's where it goes. Now, if we continue down, now homosexuality comes into the picture. Look at what it says in verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So you see what happens when humanity wants to worship the creation, rather than worship the true and living God, God gives them over to that. And what happens is when God gives humanity over to its idolatry, 
we begin to be conformed into the image of ourselves. And so what happens is, is there's a perversion. Notice at the end of verse 26, it says, what is against nature? So when Paul says to do what's against nature, the first place he goes to is homosexuality. Why? Because as we saw in Matthew chapter 19, that in the beginning, God created the male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. When God created humanity, he created the male and female. So the most logical perversion of nature is men desiring men and women desiring women. That's the most logical, basic perversion within nature. Now, with that being said, is homosexuality the problem? No. It's the symptom of the greater problem. The greater problem is idolatry. And idolatry, when it's in full bloom, will play itself out in the most basic perversion of nature, and that's men desiring men, women desiring women. See, we live in a day and age, especially in church, where everyone thinks homosexuality is the issue. No, the glory of God is the issue. And when people will not worship God, when you or I will not worship God, then perversion begins. So we need to realize that homosexuality is not the problem. Idolatry is the problem. And each one of our hearts is an idol factory, if we're honest. The reason homosexuality is blossoming in the West is not because of the laws that we pass. It's because as a culture, we have rejected God. And God has culturally given our culture over to its passions of its heart. It's passions that are unrestrained. And because of that, one of the many symptoms of that is the blossom of homosexuality. So in these verses, homosexuality is not the problem. It is the symptom of the greater problem. Okay? So the biblical teaching on homosexuality is crystal clear. We looked at it. We span the Bible, right? Now, from there, I want to focus now, because I know, as like I said, I was preaching to the choir a little bit. Now I want to focus down on those of you who already believe that homosexuality is a sin, okay? I want to talk to you who say, I believe what the Bible says about homosexuality. First, homosexuality is not the worst type of the worst type of sin, Homosexuality is not the worst type of the worst type of sin. I need to express this because it sure seems like it is for a lot of Christians. We think that sexual sins are the worst type of sin and homosexuality obviously is the worst type of the worst type of sin. And the reality is that all sins are bad. And certain sins have a greater severity on this earth than other sins, but sexual sins aren't the greatest in their severity. They do damage, a lot of damage, but I would sure think that murder is probably worse in its severity. See, the reality is this. Why do we think that sexual sins are the worst type of sin? Well, mostly because Western culture has been obsessed with sex for as long as it can remember. I remember in college studying psychology and you read about Sigmund Freud and all of the later analysis of Freud's theories came down to that Elizabethan culture which Sigmund Freud spoke into was totally obsessed with sexuality. 
because everything was about making sure nothing was sexual. So the women wore things up to here and down to here, and it was very sexually repressive. But what's interesting is it was sexually repressive because it was actually sexually obsessed. So sexuality in the West has always been a hot commodity. It sells. There's pastors who are making their whole ministry just talking about sex. And people come in mass like, wow, he's, the pastor's talking about sex. Now, sexuality is important because it is the one physical act that actually displays the spiritual union between Jesus and his church. That's why the act of sex is so important to God. Because it is in our bodies the only way to be connected physically, a husband with a wife, the same connection that we have with Jesus spiritually. It's a sacred thing. It's an important thing. But sexual sins are not the worst type of sins. Now, why do Christians believe this? Simply because of this. Most Christians have no homosexual tendencies. Most people don't. Less than 5% of the population of America, depending on who you ask, is homosexual. So really the reason we think it's the worst type of the worst type of sin is not because it's in the Bible, it's because we can't identify with it. For somebody who is rigorously heterosexual, the idea of being attracted to somebody of the same sex is kind of repulsive. It just doesn't make any sense. Speaking personally for me, when I hit puberty, I noticed girls, absolutely. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. It was just like, whoa, you know, girl walks by and I'm like, Adam, whoa, man, hey, you know. And I'm not trying to be coarse, but I mean, like, I just noticed that. I just noticed that. It came totally natural. No one had to coach me on it. It wasn't like my uncle sat me down and said, hey, little Danny, let me, when a beautiful woman walks by, I want your eyes to pop out of your head. I want your jaw to hit the floor and try and say something intelligent. <laughs> it just happened. And I could blame the testosterone pumping through my body when I was 12 or whatever, and the mustache that started coming, coming out. I could blame all those things, but it just happened. It just happened that way. And for 90 or 90% of the population, it happened that way where you were attracted to somebody of the opposite sex. So it comes very naturally. Now, what's interesting is, is I have a lot of friends who are homosexual. And I know a lot of people who say, remember how when you hit puberty, you were just attracted to gals? Yep, I remember that. Well, I've always been attracted to people of the same sex. Now, for most of us, you think to yourself, well, it can't be that simple, but for a lot of people, it is. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us today as Pastor Daniel addressed the subject of homosexuality. Going through several passages in the Bible, you discover that Scripture clearly says that homosexuality is a sin. But it's not the worst of the worst sins like some people think. Pastor Daniel also shared that part of what makes this such a difficult topic is that most of us just can't relate. Many people don't know what it's like to be attracted to the same gender. So it's just harder to understand and be compassionate. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio. And I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus Is Real Radio at 
4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share that homosexuality is a sin like any other sin. The truth is that we all mess up and we all need Jesus to rescue us. Pastor Daniel will remind you that the church should be a place where broken people can come and be loved, encouraged, and challenged. Because we're all in process together. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Really. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.